All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 302. Pumped to be here, pumped to get this thing going. Got a great pod for you here today. Um, I had a good friend of mine, Matt Roberts, uh, stops by, and we talk uh, We talk all things sales. He is running sales development, director of sales dev over at Mosaic. Uh, formerly, he was the director of sales dev at Chili Piper, um, worked at a couple of different startups before that. And, um, and before sales, he had a really wide range of, of different jobs, which is how we start the conversation, whether it was uh, working for American Idol, uh, working at a, a vineyard, a brewery, uh, tour guide, all these different things and, and odds and ends jobs. And, um, you know, I think Matt and I are both passionate about helping people that have started in a, in a different path and trying to get them into sales and, and letting them see that that can be a great career that can be very fulfilling and, uh, and lucrative and, you know, can take you to places that you never really thought that you'd ever get to or that you didn't know existed. So Matt and I, uh, we gel well. We even talk a little bit about NFTs and crypto and stuff towards the end because he's a nut about that stuff and, um, and super passionate about it. So I think you're going to enjoy this. If you're an SDR, if you're an SDR leader, um, if you are someone that's trying to break into tech, anyone like that, this pod's for you. Uh, one quick shout out. Um, if you like what you hear, give a subscribe. Hit me up on LinkedIn. And um, would love to hear from you uh, on any feedback you have. Hit me in the DM. So without further ado, my man, Matt Roberts, let's go. All right. Next up on the Millennial Sales Podcast, we got Matt Roberts coming out of Sacktown. Matt, how we doing, man? I'm doing great, Tom. appreciate you uh, letting me be on here and share some stuff like you just mentioned a second ago. We've been trying to make this happen for a while, and I'm really pumped that we're, we're on finally and I get to chat. So thank you. Appreciate it. And yes, rep in Sacktown. I know you just left California, but it's still not, not the worst place in the world. Do people act like actually call it Sacktown? I've only called it that because I, I heard Dr. Dre say it in a song once, so I just figured it was kosher. From Oakland to Sacktown. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Chico. So, well, and I don't know if this is the right terminology, but growing up, we called Sacramento Sacraghetto. Uh, this okay. was when we were in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade because it was just like a place you never wanted to be. Um, sorry to offend any local all time Sacramentan, yeah. Sacramentoans, um, but it was not like the best place. And it was a spot that I never imagined living or, or going to really. Um, both my sisters moved here in like 2009, 2010, and then it just really started to change. And I think they realized like everyone's moving to San Francisco and there's like nothing really to do here uh, outside of the Kings games, which, you know, they don't have the best fandom uh, of, all of any uh, sports team. So, yeah, now it's uh, Sacktown, I guess. It's a cool spot. It's grown. It's changed. I'm happy to be here. And I don't really call it Sacktown, but maybe I'll start. <laughs> Okay, good. It's good to get the good to get the history here. Um, <laughs> dude, we got <clears throat> I've got a rap sheet of topics that I want to get with you on. And uh, we got, you know, maybe probably not enough time to get to all of them. So I'm excited to just kind of dive in. Um, I'm always super interested in how people get into sales and how they choose that path. And when I was researching you on LinkedIn before we before we hopped on the pod, um, three separate jobs stood out to me, and I don't I don't even know which one to start at. Whether it's uh, bartender at the Ritz Carlton in Santa Barbara, uh, some sort of beer tour guide for Sierra Nevada, which I'm not sure what that means, uh, and then uh, a production assistant 
uh, on several TV shows, including American Idol. So um, I'm not sure which one of those sticks out the most to you, but I'd love to just hear like about that whole kind of era of your life before you started in sales. A million percent. I'm going to start with the Ritz Carlton because I'll just do it in order and they all actually like make sense and build off of each other. So um, appreciate you talking about it. Like we were just saying, I love like eclectic backgrounds. Obviously I'm, I am one myself, but uh, the greatest experiences. And to be honest, might sound weird because I love all the companies. I love Mosaic. I love Chili Piper still do. Um, but like, these were the, the jobs that I think back to of like how just fun and innocent and stress-free they were. Um, or just different, obviously, compared to like the sales, uh, you know, corporate company wide stress that you get in these roles today. But um, I actually went to like an open, I, I was in college, I uh, went to UCSB. Um, it used to just be called the Bacara. Now it's the Ritz Carlton Bacara, a uh, little tucked away spot in Santa Barbara where celebrities used to go. Michael Jordan goes there annually. Um, Kobe Bryant used to stay there often. He'd do his basketball camp in, in Santa Barbara. And then a lot of people just trying to get away uh, and hide because it's very tucked away. Bill Gates rented it out once for like a whole week and everyone got called off unless like they were going to be at the specific spa that day or the specific restaurant because there's like six different restaurants. So um, I always knew it was a really cool spot to work and, and people made really good money tip wise. So when I was in college, I was like, cool, I'm going to go pick up this job. Uh, they had a job fair, started as a pool boy, just like handing out towels. And again, this is like my intro to just like absurdity and in, in the money world where people like hand you a hundred dollar bill for like setting up their two chairs. And I'm just like, this is insane. Yeah. Uh, but it was a lot of fun because everyone I worked with was also college age. And uh, I went to UCSB and I studied film and media studies and wanted to write eventually in, in LA. And so I actually wrote a script based on my experience there. I was there for over a year. It's called the cabanas. And it was about just a bunch of degenerate, college kids serving like the rich and wealthy in LA. So um, definitely a, a fantastic experience. Got to learn a lot of about, you know, I guess how to communicate with all walks of life. And to be honest, this really helped as I got into LA. And again, I'm skipping the tour guide spot for a second, but just treating people like people. And I think that's something we talk all the time about in sales, right? Like a cold call, you're just calling another person. Um, doesn't matter if they're the CEO, they're a CFO, they're a CMO and you're an SDR and you're 22 or, or something, and you're just getting on the phone, and you're talking to another person and uh, working at the Ritz-Carlton, meeting celebrities, dealing with these people that you think are so different. And then once you have those conversations, you're like, that's just another human being. And they have the same, you know, day to day at some points, like, yeah, they're all over the world and they're in front of your screens. But it taught me that no matter like how wealthy someone is or the power that they have, that it's just another person and you can hang out with them and talk to them and get in these really cool conversations about, you know, the ocean or paddleboarding or the food that they just ate, like whatever it is. So um, great experience, great people still in contact with a lot of them. And uh, again, like a few people that I worked with, I was already good friends with uh, at UCSB. So some of the best times in my life for sure. But another one of those, uh, I was glad to get out of it when I did, because it, it could go down a dark path of just young kids partying all the time and working at a uh, high-end resort it's, I don't know how long that lasts before, like someone gets hurt. Uh, I'm curious, you know, one of your first jobs being, you know, working at the Ritz in Santa Barbara, you've got the Michael Jordans of the world coming in, dropping a hundred dollars for giving him a towel, you know, yeah. and just seeing that level of wealth. Does that kind of stick with you as a young guy, like to try to get into a world that, 
you know, can be lucrative. I think we all know if, if you do well in sales and you do well in business, it's a great opportunity to, to make money versus, you know, being a writer for, you know, a movies or TV. If, if you're the top 0.1%, I'm sure you're doing well, but there's probably a lot more folks that are, you know, live in script to script that way. Um, did that affect you at all? Or is that just maybe just kind of like a sub note? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because I don't think like at, hmm, I'd say at the time it maybe affected me more or less. I don't know. It's a really good question. I really, I never really thought about that, but I know that I did see again, a little bit of that lifestyle and thought like, this would be great. Like being able to bring friends and being able to bring family to a place and pay for everything and just have money never become an issue. Like yeah, I never really thought about it the way that you just you put it. And so I don't know if that had any indication of me going into sales and wanting to, you know, be successful on like a financial level, but seeing the different lifestyles and I grew up in Chico, California, where, you know, most people are very blue collar and, and just working normal jobs and there's not an absurd amount of wealth. Um, I remember like the first time there was like a Tesla driver around the town, everyone was talking about it. Like who owns the Tesla? Like what's going on? So it was, um, I don't know if it stuck with me instantly, but being able to see that I did, yeah, maybe I, I wanted a little bit of maybe the finer things and you're able to see like, wow, being able to vacation at like a high-end spot and just lay there on a chair and just order like a drink and, and food and have people come serve you. Like maybe that's something that I would like to have someday in my life. Did you, uh, did you end up selling that script or did anything come from that? Or that was just a, a passion project that kind of stalled? Yeah. So in, in school, I had to write scripts for a lot of my uh, screenwriting classes. And so I shared it in there. I was working on it. Um, always got really good feedback, but yeah, I never sold a script. Um, obviously the, the next or two topics away and going to LA made a lot of really good connections. It's still one of those things it's on my bucket list item of like write a script and like get it made. Um, so made all the connections that I think I need to at this point, a lot of successful friends, but haven't written honestly in way too long. Now it's all cadences or sequences and copy <laughs> uh, call scripts, which you can still be creative. And I guess that's where I get a little bit of the fun out of it. But um, one day again, maybe it's uh, when Mosaic IPOs and, and you get all that cash and then I can just kind of retire for a little bit. I'll, I'll go back to writing these scripts. There you go. Once you, once you get that, that NFT, that just that too. 10,000 X's, then, uh, uh, that then that's your date. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so you're kind of at this phase where you're, you're bouncing around here, you know, from these different jobs that are, are fun, but probably not long-term career options. What, how does it occur to you that, Hey, maybe sales is going to be the right path or a path. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'll back it up again, a little quick second. So yeah, the tour guide, I went, ended up going yep. back to Chico. I worked as a tour guide at Sierra Nevada. That was always kind of like a lifelong dream. Um, I knew I was going to LA at the time because I had a friend whose brother was like very high up at College Humor, which used to be making like sketches online and stuff. So he was like, yeah, I got a job for you if you want to come work there. Just kind of went and stopped back home for a second um, and started, you know, working at Sierra Nevada and it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. Um, and then, you know, I got to LA, started working in that world. Absolutely loved the work. Like I mentioned, um, still in contact with a lot of these people and they've done really well. It was so much fun, um, a grind. It was, you know, 24 hour days sometimes and a lot of like 16, 18 hour days. And then you'd have two or three back in a row. And it's funny, I was just telling the uh, BDR team this yesterday. It's very similar to that kind of world where 
when you're a BDR, when you're an AE, whenever when like sales are hot and like that energy is going, you have to just like stay with it because you have to ride that wave. Because sometimes and oftentimes you're gonna have lows. Like your highs are really high, your lows are really low. You know, you don't book a meeting, you don't close a deal for weeks or whatever, and then next thing you know, you close like five in a week or you book four meetings in one day. And so when you're hot, you got to stay on top of it. And I learned that at, uh, in LA, like as a production assistant and you're freelance and it's like, you're working for that next job every single day. And so the second you, you know, take a day off and deny a job, like, boom, there you go. You just lost your shot or you don't put like you're all into working at a job and you just look kind of lazy or you're not standing out because you're not always there. Like, Hey, what can I do? How can I help? They're not going to call you back. Uh, and so I learned a lot of that sort of work ethic there. Um, but I also realized to, you know, tie it back to getting into sales. I didn't love living in LA. Um, it, again, I, I didn't want to move up the path. Uh, I did like production assistant, production coordinating. I didn't want to move into like being a producer. That was never my intentions or my goal was to write. And so I said, I made a lot of friends, uh, connections, great experience, but I don't need to live in LA to, to write. I can live kind of anywhere and I can write good stuff and send it to these people and see like, is there anything here? Um, and then if, you know, worst case scenario, I have to go visit LA every once in a while, which isn't too bad. So I moved back to Santa Barbara because I just didn't really know what I wanted to do next. Um, that's where all my friends uh, were still sticking around. And all of my experience was in beer and wine, uh, tour guide and like catering and production. So I didn't really have much uh, in Santa Barbara. So I got a job at a vineyard and I was working there for about four or five months. And then my friends would come in on the weekends and they would just like, pay money for all these things and they buy bottles of wine. And I'm like, what do you, how do you have this money? And they're like, Oh, working at, uh, at Folio. Like it's a tech company. And I was like, what do you do? They're like, it's a sales role. Like you'd love it. You just call people all day. We hang out. This is 2015. So like the foosball table was there. They had like beer on Fridays. And, uh, I was like, that sounds pretty fun. Like, can I get, you know, an interview? And they're like, definitely. So interviewed at my case, I think it was like August of like 2015 um joined like that day uh the manager who hired me i'm still super close with uh, her name's karen gray awesome she is now a vp of sales over at a competitor actually of Folio. so uh kind of some big news there but um started working absolutely loved the environment of the competition the grind the hustle way better money than anything i'd ever made in the past uh working elsewhere and that was sort of my intro into tech sales it, I want to go back for a second to the point that you made about, you know, kind of taking advantage when you're hot and um, you know, there, there, there's a huge skill to that. And uh, in Matthew McConaughey's book, he calls it like the art of running downhill. And there's kind of like those two skills when you're hot, like how do you stay hot? And then when you're in a slump, you know, how do you break out of it? Do you, do you try something new? Do you take a couple days off? Do you, you know, work twice as hard, whatever it might be. Um, We'll get back to your story, but I'm just curious, you know, being a leader and an SDR leader for so long, any thoughts on, you know, either of those two skills and like, if you've got a rep that's just like fire hot or, you know, another rep that's just ice cold, what you might tell them. Yeah, really good point. And I need to read that book because it sounds very interesting. Um, oh, but you would love it. What's it called again? It, it's called Green Lights. Okay, cool. I'm writing it down. Yeah, Come on. Like it. It. Um, yeah, great question. And I think what I always refer to, I'm a, I'm a sports fan. And so like we talk about like baseball, this is kind of the easiest one. It's like a batting average, right? There's people who go on hitting streaks and there's people who go on like the worst hitting streak possible. So it's like, sometimes you look at it and someone hit, you know, 500 for an entire month. And there's other people where it's like, they hit hundred for the entire month at the end of the season, like where are they at? And if they're in that like 300 range, like that's probably more realistic. 
And so for like being really hot, being really cold, you have to know that that's going to change at some point for the better or for the worse. And so I think kind of stepping back and, you know, some cryptocurrency, some NFT stuff, like zooming out and seeing the big picture rather than just being focused on that week or that month or that quarter or whatever. And knowing that again, it's either going to come back to reality or it's going to get better. That just mindset I think is, is really important to have. Um, and so I do tell like, you know, let's you know, bring it back down to the rep that's on fire. They're booking meeting after meeting or they're closing deal after deal and like nothing can touch them. I'm like, keep riding that energy and like feel that way. Every time you go into a cold call, every time you go into a demo, every time you send an email, because like, it's obviously working right now and know that it's not going to last forever. So like everything you can get out of it right now, like you have to keep doing that. But the thing that should be kind of like continuing to push you is like, this isn't going to always be this way. Uh, and then on the reverse side of it, someone's super cold. Um, hopefully they had seen some success in the beginning because nothing is worse than if they start really cold and they stay cold for a while and you're like, oh shoot, this is tough. But I'll use the, now the SDR manager of Chili Piper, Joey, as an example. Um, he joined in December and it was his first SDR role. He'd never done SDR work before, but he had all the intangibles and he was super motivated and he had a terrible December. He was like the worst SDR on the team. I don't think he booked the meeting, um, but his mindset was still pretty good. It was just kind of like confused, like, oh, I didn't book anything. Other people are like, am I doing something wrong? And I told him, I was like, hey, this process will, will prove itself at some point. Like, trust the process. Do the basics. Don't try to change too much. Like, don't think that you need to reinvent the wheel. Everything's here and you can see other people seeing success with it. December is a weird month. Like, maybe all, you know, coincidentally, all your people are out of office early or just they just didn't want to respond. And don't let this dictate your future in sales or your future you know, selling uh, in general and, and thinking in the tech space, maybe it's not for you. And then in January, his second month, he set the record for the most meetings booked uh, for a second month rep. And so, and he always talks about, he's like, it's trusting the process and knowing that it's going to work out. Like, and again, so it is still that mindset, but it's not like, hey, this is going to end one day. It's more like, it will get better. You can't look at this, you know, three weeks, one month, whatever quarter and think like that is who you are as a rep or who you are as a salesperson. So I think mindset is honestly the biggest part, but it's definitely tough. Celebrate the small wins for sure. Like when you're having a really bad time, any, any small one, you got a response and they told you, no, Hey, at least we got a response. We can work with that. Like just whatever you can uh, to just continue to improve and get a little bit better. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, when, when people ask me when they're starting to get into tech sales or taking even their second job, like, Hey, what would you tell your, your younger self? It's always, you know, number one to go work somewhere where, you know, the coaching level is going to be high and the development level is going to be high, not necessarily that has the highest OTE or the most funding or whatever it might be. Um, because I can only imagine how many former sales reps there are that came in and had a tough first few months and just quit and just said, I'm not sales isn't for me. And, uh, exactly. you know, I'm going to go in, into something else um, versus those that, you know, had a coach or had a leader that saw something in them and either help them make that small shift. Cause it usually is just a small one. Um, or that you maybe just needed the encouragement and the time to, to get there. Um, and then, you know, I know countless, you know, amazing salespeople that started off slow in their first year and their VPs of sales or CEOs or whatever nowadays. So, right. um, you know, I, I think that at least in, in my opinion that you're nodding your head, which makes me think you agree. Like, you know, if, if, if you're out there and you're starting as an SDR, like that someone that's listening, I would go and I would test, you know, in the interview process, like what's the coaching like, 
can I get along with this leader? Do I trust him or her to, to guide me? And if it's, if that's yes, then go all in on that place versus whatever might have 10 K more of an OTE. A million percent. And I love that you said that because I think it is hard to are in this world now, right? The, the, uh, was it the great resignation? And there's like all these job opportunities and like OT is probably what 90% of people are looking for. Like, oh, cool. How much can I make here? But maybe that's important later down the line, but still, I mean, that's very subjective. But in the beginning days, like, yeah, I think I do know some people who went to a company, they tried and like, ah, sales wasn't for me. And it's just like, well, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it was, but you've got in a bad situation where someone gave up on you or didn't care or didn't try. Um, and it's a bummer because you don't really know to your point, it could be a quarter, but it could also be a year. And next thing you know, that's where you just kind of the flip switches and then you, you take off and you're a VP, like you mentioned. Um, I think the cool mindset there, and it's hilarious, actually, the person who told me this um, is actually a gong, uh, was an SDR manager. Now they're an AE, uh, Parker. Uh, I don't know if you work much with Parker or communicate, but we talked a while back about um, sales, like development and management a while ago and, and he said something that's always stuck with me i repeat it all the time and i tell it to other people and stuff but he said uh you know the moment that like i care more about your numbers than you care like that's when it's an unhealthy relationship or that's when it's kind of like lost and so for someone who's slow to start for someone who's not having the best success all that if they're still out there trying to get better and trying to improve and putting in the energy and like they're caring about it i'm gonna ride with that person all the time like i'm there to help to coach to train to do whatever i can because I know that with that mindset, it's just like the persistence, the grit, determination, like you will find success at some point. If you're constantly trying to get better and you want to, and you care so much about it, it's just like scientific, scientifically, like you're going to get there eventually. It's when people give up on themselves or they're like, eh, this isn't for me. Uh, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't care to do this. That's when it's like, okay, yeah, maybe sales isn't for you. But if someone's out there with a good mindset and wants to do better, like a good leader should be there riding with them every single day, trying to help out and they will get there eventually. I love that. Um, I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, obviously you've been, you know, crushing it in the sales development world um, as an SDR and then as a leader, you know, at Chili Piper at Mosaic, you know, pretty well known um, in the space, just on LinkedIn and, and things like that. I'd love for you to talk about from a career path standpoint, you know, going down that path versus being an AE you know, trying to get into AE management, uh, going into, you know, customer success or all the million things you could do. Um, you've kind of niched into sales development. It seems like it's been a great spot. So I'd love to hear, you know, kind of what went into that. Yeah. Um, great question. And it's another topic I really like to talk about. So again, going back to that first job, that my case role. Um, so first tech job ever, SDR with a good fun group of people. We all, you know, promote into account executives cool. We, we made it. We're there. Super exciting. Uh, you're demoing people, you're closing deals. Um, and again, this is something I've often thought about too, to your point of like, maybe not a bad leadership thing, but maybe you're just selling to the wrong uh, market or space. And like, that's not where you want to be. So we were doing legal software. So I'm demoing, you know, law firms and, and lawyers eight days, you know, or eight times a day, five days a week. And I got pretty burnt out after like a year, year, a little over uh, a year there. And I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like what else is there, right? Like what's what's next? And I didn't see uh, like our manager was there and she's great. It's Karen who I mentioned. I just didn't see like a path into leadership. I knew that we were a pretty small team. We didn't need any more than that. So I was like, I'm just gonna be here selling to lawyers forever. And it like freaked me out. So 
called my buddy up who was in San Diego. I uh, told him I was going to quit my job and go travel Europe for a while and like, you know, one way ticket. And so he just came along um, and we had a great time. And then coming back into, you know, reality when I eventually came home and have to start getting paychecks again, I was like, well, tech sales worked, but I didn't want to be an AE again. And so my experience was SDR for a few months and AE for a little over a year. And I'm looking at these jobs and I was like, okay, I don't want to just jump into an AE role because I'm terrified. Like, what if I hate it? What if I go and work for a company and the you know role burns me out again? And then it's just like, okay, now I'm at this point, you know, 25, 26, and I have no clue what I want to do. But I know it's not sales role. So I was really looking for like a company that was super important. That was like my, uh, you know, my North Star was a good company culture. Um, I wanted something that was remote and this is before, uh, you know, COVID. So there wasn't a lot of opportunities and half of them. I was like, I think this is a scam. Um, and so I, I didn't know really what was going on. And I came across Chili Piper and they're hiring for an AE and they're hiring for an SDR. And then to your point on leadership, I started looking at like who the team was and there was 20 people at the time. Uh, and Michael Tuso was the uh, sales leader at the point. And I just checked him out and I hadn't, when I left my case in 2016, LinkedIn was like there, but it wasn't what it is today, of course. And it's still, it was just already drastically different. And I was like, is this an influencer? Like, is this a Twitter person? Like, I'm confused. And I saw his post and I was reading. I was like, this looks like someone I could learn a lot from. And I really liked what they had to say. And so I applied there, got to interview with them, was like, this is someone I, I, I know that will teach me a lot. Um, whether it's, you know, going into an account executive role or staying into uh, or going into like management. But uh, I took the shot there and and at the last interview, I had it with the CEO, Nicholas, and he's looking at the resume and he's like, well, it says here you're an AE for like a year. Like why, why an SDR role? Like why not an AE role? And I said, you know, I just want to see from the ground up, like what the whole process is and like work my way into the role rather than just kind of jump in, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, whatever, like makes sense. The real reason was I didn't want to be an AE again. I was scared. So yeah. I go over to Jelly Piper, uh, learn again, like the process as an SDR, get to, you know, see and, and have a lot of influence on like what we're sending, like what the process is, how that works. And I think it was like month four, month five, Nicholas flew out for a 10 down conference where Michael Tuso was speaking uh, and he had to leave and he's like, Hey, like, let's just grab a drink right before we leave. So we went to the bar and he's like, you're doing really well. Like, you know, we'd love to have you as an AE. Um, you know, how about next month we can start training for that? And I was just like, you know what? Like, I don't think I want to be an AE. And he was like, well, what do you want to do then? And I said, I don't know. I'm really enjoying the SDR team. Um, there was only, I think, four of us at that time. But I said, I'm getting a lot of fulfillment out of like helping the other SDRs do well. Like, I love it when they share an objection and they're like, how can I handle this? And I can hop in and help out. Uh, I can listen to their call and be like, oh, like you could do this a little better. I said, I'm, I'm like in, almost enjoying that more than my own success. And so he's like, well, then why don't you like be a team lead or something? And I was like, okay, I'll be a team lead. And then it just kind of was like off to the races. So I think someone asked once, like, did you choose the sales development life or did it choose you? And I was like, I think it chose me because um, it just turned into something that I didn't know I ever really wanted to do. But as someone who really likes seeing people succeed and like helping people get better, it just made sense. And to your point of like, why not, you know, an AE? Uh, sales leadership role or something. I, I think the fact that the SDR, BDR role, not, not always, but sometimes a little more green and, uh, you know, newer, younger reps, like you get to really kind of craft and mold them to then see like their whole uh, sort of journey through. Whereas like 
you know, an AE, of course, they can go be a senior AE and then they can go into leadership. I love seeing someone come in super fresh, pick up stuff, learn a ton, grow as an SDR, move into like a team lead role, move into an AE, crush that, move up. Like that stuff is exactly why I like the role. And, and that's what like gets me up every day. And that's where my fulfillment comes from. So that's sort of the story. What What's the, for people that haven't had a, a leadership role, but are interested, what's what's been the most challenging or, or most surprising part of, you know, being an SDR leader that you didn't see coming? Good question. I think um, there's a few things that stick out. One is like when you have to realize that you're separating yourself from like the number, uh, yeah. obviously as an individual contributor, like you own that, right? Like it's on me or it's that that's it. Like I can make excuses, but at the end of the day, it's just like, there's a number on my head and that's it. When you're a leader, yeah, there is a number on my head for sure, but like, I'm not directly impacting that number. And so every single thing that I do day to day is going to be what impacts that for better or for worse. And so realizing that like, you can't do the job for the people and like, it's kind of the leading the horse to water, but they have to drink it. Like you have to do a really good job leading them to water and hope that they drink it. But at the end of the day, like it's kind of up to them. And so being there for, for more than just like a sales leader, I think being there as like a person or like a mentor, um, you can use the word friend, I guess it, it might get kind of blurry, but being there for more than, you know, at the end of the day, the role is definitely can be exhausting and it's, you can get pretty burnt out as a SDR BDR for, you know, months on end and, and you don't take time off or you're not, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but being there to understand that like, these are just people and uh, there's a lot more going on and they need more than just like, Hey, like you can't just talk numbers and uh, activity metrics and all that. Like you have to be there keeping things, you know, fun and light. And so it's more of, and I guess it's all management for sure. But I think in this role, like there is a good chunk that needs to be exciting and fun and fresh and should be because at the end of the day, like you're, what you're doing isn't necessarily easy, but it's not rocket science. Like there is process for it. You should be able to do it. And so like, just make it as entertaining and exciting as possible and like motivating. And I didn't, I didn't think that stuck out to me enough when I first jumped in the role. I thought like, cool, I'll just teach everyone exactly what I need to do uh, or like exactly what I'm doing and that's how they should do it. But it's like, no, everyone's super individual. You need to kind of handle every single interaction and situation differently because people respond to different things. So they're what motivates them, how they learn, uh, you know, what sticks out. Some people you can hop on and just do a 10 minute, you know, zoom and they get it. Some people you need to hop on 14 times and really dive things out or make a loom and record it and send it over with documentation. Uh, and it's the same thing for like what motivates people. Sometimes it's just like, you got to kind of lightly kick them in the butt and other people you have to sit there and be super empathetic about and, and like really dive deep into what the issue is and um, it might, you know, be completely outside of work. So just people skills, but I feel like I just rambled that, a lot, but no, that's just, that's just the, that's just the emotional intelligence side of right. things. Um, I'd be remiss if we had a podcast and I didn't bring up uh, NFTs with you. Cause I know that's a, it's a passion of yours. <clears throat> it might be uh, a phrase that folks are either familiar and, and interested in, or at the very least, they've probably heard it on the news or on Twitter uh, and, and just decided not to really look into it. So Maybe you could give like a, we could do like a five minute crash course uh, of like the world of, of crypto and NFTs and, and why you're, you are so interested in that world. 
Yeah, and it's hilarious that you said this. So it's like 15 minutes before we hopped on here, one of my old reps at Chili Piper, who's now somewhere else, hit me on LinkedIn and says, are you still active with the NFTs? And so this is a perfect segue NFTs. into it. People, <laughs> people were giving me a bunch of junk about it. Um, yeah, so I guess my, you, I feel like, might be more of an expert on like maybe the foundational side of it or... Uh, my story on NFTs and cryptocurrencies is a little bit different than everyone else's. And it's that we had a friend who kept telling us to buy Ethereum in like 2014. And he was like, you need to be doing this. Yes. Like you need to be, you need to be buying uh, this. You need to be doing this. And at the same time, I had a roommate in college who was like, we should be mining Bitcoin. And I was like, I don't even know what you're saying. We're just going to like, you know, hang out on the beach and, and like play football. And so it almost turned into what is now like FOMO, right? that some of these people like started making really good money. And then I was like, huh, what is this? And then every time we'd sync up, we would just talk in more detail. And then it finally clicked where I was like, okay, money changes, right? Like money has changed forever. It went from like goods and services, like, hey, I picked you these, you know, cucumbers and you like shot a deer and now we can like (laughs) feed each other. And then like, I make clothes and you, you know, build my house. And to then, you know, actual like cash money and then it turned into credit cards. And like, I was watching commercials how like credit cards used to blow people's minds where they're like that doesn't make any sense like it's not real money and then it's like this stuff comes out and everyone's like that doesn't make any sense it's not real money and then everything was like black market and like my mom just even texted me like two weeks ago and she's like i heard cryptocurrencies for like drugs and like human trafficking and i was like did you read an article from like seven years ago um so i kind of like fomoed into it and so if you want to talk more like technical you're probably the expert but i am a big believer in like the change i am a big believer in um, our generation. So I'm glad like, you know, millennial, millennial podcast, like our generation is not our parents' generation. So like what they look at as crazy and what all these people that speak on, you know, financial podcasts and, and TV, like I get it. It's so different and it might not make sense to everybody. And a lot of people are lazy and they don't want to educate themselves. Like they're like, ah, I'm too far removed. I'm not going to like, I don't even know where to start. Um, and so I think that's a big chunk as to why maybe it gets a, not a bad rap, but like it's just educating people and, and people not wanting to take the time, but I'm a big believer in it. I think it's what the future could possibly hold. I think to tie in NFTs, I love art. I love uh, you know, video games. When I was a little kid, I used to play all the time. Um, what you see they're doing like with music, uh, like Snoop Dogg just did something. I heard like Diplo's next song is going to be an NFT that you can buy ownership into. It gives a lot of power to artists. It gives a lot of power to people who believe in projects. Um, and then some of it is just, a lot of it's actually like the community too. Like I didn't know what discord was. My niece had one. She had it for like a Roblox or something. And I was like, <laughs> what do you want? And the next thing I know, like everyone in the NFT world is like on discord. And now I check it out all the time and they are cool communities. You meet people. Like I've made friends with people that I still haven't met in real life, just kind of like LinkedIn, but it's just a different world. Uh, if you watch like ready player one, those kind of movies, it's like, you already see people sucked into their screens. And like, now it's like an Oculus. I don't think it's super far off. I'm not a crazy like believer in that we're all going to be, was it like Wally? Like we're all going to be sitting in a chair, just living in a virtual <laughs> world anytime really soon. But I mean, hey, technology moves fast. So that's kind of my whole mindset is I just want to be a part of the movement. I like the communities. Maybe it's yeah. the Bacara in me. Uh, I look forward to one day just retiring on a beach and ordering Mai Tais. So that's kind of my thought process. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. So how many um, NFTs have you bought? Um, I think my open C is around like 60 something. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, you're deep. Um, yeah, well, so 
and again, the same friend I was talking about buying Ethereum, he told me one day, he said, you need to buy this thing. It's called a board ape. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I, I was 67. So you did buy a board ape? No. So oh. <laughs> he tells me, he tells me, buy, buy one of these things there. And he wasn't using Ethereum because I wasn't really doing a whole lot with it. He's like, there are a thousand dollars. And I was like, that's insane. I don't have a thousand dollars to buy just like a picture of a monkey. Two or three weeks later, hits me up. Hey, you need to buy one of these things. It's $5,000. And I was like, yeah, now I'm definitely not going to buy it because it's $5,000. Instead of thinking, huh, that went up $4,000. I was like, nope, that's even crazier than the first time you asked. Then like a month later, it hits me up. Hey, these are like $25,000. You should have bought one. And I was like, okay. I feel like I kind of missed out. And then he hits me up like a month and a half later. And he goes, hey, I'm going all in on this project. And it was Rumble Kong League. And he's like, you should look into it. Uh, get in if you can. And I was talking about it with some friends and they're like, well, like the board eight thing didn't really work out. This friend also has been very, very successful in his life and has retired since and now works fully in like web three um, from his Ethereum purchases and stuff. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to get into this. And so I went not super deep, but I bought a few rumble Kongs and that was kind of like the, the like, you know, aha moment. And then I got in the community and I started learning and meeting people and talking and the next, you know, it's like pff, all over the place. But what I would say is like, definitely do your own research. FOMO is definitely a thing, but like at the end yeah. of the day, it's real money and you can definitely get like hurt and people rug pull and all that stuff. So if you look into the projects and you believe in like the teams and the develop developers behind it, you know, toss your hat in on one or two of them, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, of the 67 breaking. you have, like what's the percentage breakdown between like you buying them as an investment because you did research versus you just like the art behind it and it's kind of just for you? That's a good question. Um, I would say, I'm looking at it right now, <clears throat> the majority of them are because I like the project and there's more uh, to it than just like the art. I think like actual straight up art, I don't even know if I have any actual art, to be honest. A lot of them have some sort of utility to them um, whether it's like a song or it's like bio pills which are like bio you know lands and uh, like you heard of um like a few other ones that have games attached to them there's one called like goons of balatron it's like a card trading game um snoop dog had his doggies which are in the sandbox so a lot of them have some sort of like utility there's a few that i bought and i didn't really know what the utility was and then they totally like just went down and you're like cool i just lost you know a few hundred bucks there but the majority of them, I am looking from a purpose of like, do they have utility? Do they have like a, a play to, to earn um, component at some point so that I can eventually like rent them out and get paid? Um, I got into Zed Run for a little bit, which was like racing horses. And that made sense to me because it was like, cool, it's virtual horse racing. You can breed them, you can sell their offsprings or you can win, you know, the races. So a lot of it are ones that you can, you can or eventually will be able to use uh, to earn more money. So not a lot of art, but there has been some art that I've been interested in. Um, I just haven't pulled the trigger yet or been able to afford some of it because it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, um, for anyone that's interested, I agree. Do your own research, do your own homework. There's a ton of stuff out there. I'd say, I feel like my gateway to this, you know, and this is probably, I don't know, somewhere around a year ago was Gary V um, just because he's everywhere as it relates to sales and marketing and entrepreneurship. And he's deep into this game and has put out a lot of free 
content. So uh, a lot of other people that are into it, obviously, but he's, he was a kind of my gateway. Um, I'm checking the clock. I need to get some rapid fires with you, Matt. Um, so first and foremost, I need to know we're big learners on this podcast. I'm not sure how much of a reader you are or are not, but I'd love to hear any books that have impacted you that they don't, they can be sales related, but they can just be any genre of life that, that really sticks out to you. How to win friends and influence people is always like my number one go-to. Um, mm-hmm. I talk a lot. And again, yeah, I'm not a massive reader. I'll be the first to say that. Um, I read probably more scripts than I read books, uh, <laughs> but I think I read it when I was in like eighth grade and it was like a little, maybe above my head, but I was like, Oh, this is really cool. And then I read it again when I was like 22 and it like blew my mind. And I was like, wow. And then I read it again when I was like 28 and I was like, this is incredible. I think it's one of those things that you can reread and learn so much and take away so much from. So that's always like my go-to. Um, as far as like a sales book, fanatical prospecting, I think is great for any SDR. I just got this one in the mail today. Sell without selling out uh, by Andy Paul. Really mm. excited to dive into this. I've heard some good things. Um, but yeah, how to win friends and then also fanatical prospecting, I think are two good spots, one for life, one for SDR sales development work. Love it. How about, um, podcasts or YouTube channels or other ways that you like to learn But LinkedIn, if that's, if that's the case. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn, definitely. Like I love Kyle Coleman stuff. Um, I think it's always yeah. super actionable. He's definitely like a big, a big one for me. Armand is also great. So both podcasts and his posts, um, those are two that like immediately stick out, but there's a lot of fantastic stuff out there. And again, like LinkedIn changed so much for me and it blew my mind when I hopped on. I was like, whoa, I can learn here. And to your point, right, with like Gary Vee, there's so much free content out there. It's just incredible. Um, I have a list. I'll send you over this list because I would love to see what you'd add to it. But it's books, podcasts, LinkedIn, people to follow, uh, blogs. And I always love to kind of build it out as like a sales resource, but I always share it with new reps. So um, I'll say Armand and Kyle Coleman for me right now. But I'm going to send this thing over to you after this call and I want you to add to it. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Um, so what goes on in the headphones music wise? Uh, so this is a very, very complicated one. because <laughs> I So growing up and I've met him three times and this is actually, you know, we didn't talk about a pair of cards. One of these yeah. is it's a, a, a chance rapper, but I met Kanye West and I'm never going to fail. I used to be like the biggest Kanye West fan. Um, growing up seventh grade, he, you know, first released, uh, through the wire, loved him. Obviously it's more of a controversial topic now over the last six or seven years as to who he is as a, as a person. But I used to listen to a lot of Kanye and I still do listen to like OG Kanye to like pump myself up. There's just, oh, like, used to be a few best. songs that I would like play and I'd be like, cool. And it was before games, it was before interviews, it was before, uh, call blitz. Like, so I used to do that nowadays. Um, T- tell me you saw the documentary. I did. And I thought episodes one and two were so fascinating and fun to yeah. watch and like brought up all this nostalgia. And then episode three, I was like, oh, this is episode like three was hard sad, to watch and sad. But yes, um, one, one and two was amazing. So fun. And I was just talking about like, you don't even have to be a fan of his music or a fan of him. It's really cool to see, again, persistence, someone who's just so determined to like make their dream happen, you know, go after and, and get it. So used to do a lot of Kanye. Now I do a lot of like I'm not going to say it because she'll play, but like the Amazon name, uh, study music. And then she'll just play like some music and I'll listen to that. Um, I do like, I've been getting into way different music than I used to. Krongbin. I don't know if you listen to Krongbin. They're out of San Antonio, Texas. Very kind of like sounds a little bit like disco-y and funky, but, um, it's new. And so I would say like, yeah, study music or like, 
uh, meditation music and then some Krongbin. That's that's what I've been listening to for the last few months. Okay, I like it. Um, what what's something that you like to do as kind of like a recharge when you're getting away from the laptop? Walk my dog. Um, super super fortunate. I don't know if you can see him in the back. His name's Larry Fitzgerald. Um, I'm a Niners <laughs> fan though, <laughs> but I always knew that my dog was going to be named Larry Fitzgerald. He's Why? Right there. Um, he's my favorite athlete and celebrity probably of all time just a good person on off the field does the right things works really hard cool person um so yeah like Larry Fitzgerald. exactly <laughs> exactly like larry so yeah I, wa- I walk larry that's my kind of getaway outside of that um i love cooking so cooking is always kind of like a release um and then you know obviously like spending time with friends and family is really important to me as well that is hilarious larry <laughs> the most like reliable loyal wide receiver that one could think of that's that's the perfect name for a dog yeah and I had the name since I've known of Larry Fitzgerald and I was like my first dog's gonna be Larry Fitzgerald and we were just laughing about my friend who like has his baby's name and he's like but maybe you know I change it when we get to meet the baby because it it could be any name and I was like that's funny I'd name my dog like 10 years before I got him so (laughs) it is what it is hilarious that's hilarious Um, my last question for you who do you want to come uh, see next on the Millennial Sales Podcast? Mm, that's a good question. Oh, I got it. Okay. Hit me. Slowly becoming one of my favorite LinkedIn uh, people. And, and I don't want this to be biased because it's not, I promise. Um, but it's a chili piper, or a, a piper, I guess is what you call him. <laughs> um, Elric. Elric Legloy yeah. yeah. has been has been killing it on the content lately, super actionable, had his own podcast uh, in France. He was, he was always trying to do like a big kind of French uh, sales push. When I hired Elric, he was in Mexico and he moved to France almost a year ago. I'm hoping to see him actually later this year. I might fly to, to Paris to head over to see my sister in England. But yeah, he's been crushing it on LinkedIn, um, building out the EMEA team over at Chili Piper loves business development, has read a ton of books, super sharp, um, and just a, an all-around good dude. We sync up like once a month for a little bit, and he has a beautiful dog as well. So hopefully if you do get him on, he can share just another a dog, but his dog's much prettier than Larry. Larry's more <laughs> cute, cute and fluffy, but um, yeah, I'll rec- that would be a, a cool one. That's a great one. I feel like um, I just met, I just met Elric maybe a month ago and was not familiar with his content before that. Um, cause we weren't connected on LinkedIn, I guess. And now I'm seeing it every day and he, yeah. he puts out bars. So that's a great follow for folks that want to check him out. And I will absolutely hunt him down for the pod. I'll, I'll hit him up right after this and it'll be what 3am in his time, but he'll probably <laughs> yeah. respond. He's always, he's always up, but yeah, that would be really cool. I'm glad you got a chance to meet with him. Um, really good person and, and definitely a really good, uh, sales development leader. I love it. Um, Matt, this is a blast, man. Um, I loved having you on. This is a long time coming. Before I let you go, uh, would love if you know if you have any last messages for folks. Um, but then definitely where people can find you. I'm not sure if you're hiring at Mosaic, but that might be a good thing to mention if folks are uh, looking for their next gig. But anything else that you want to say to the folks out there? Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, again, long time coming. Really appreciate this, Tom. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. We have way more to talk uh, NFT and crypto uh, side. <laughs> So I'll do that. And again, yeah, really excited that you're in Chicago and hope that this is just like a next amazing chapter. I can't wait to kind of follow along and I will let you know when I'm out there. Uh, as far as myself, yeah, Matthew Roberts at Mosaic. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn there. 
we are hiring, uh, looking for, you know, people who, again, to kind of tie back what I'd hope people take away from this is that we're all people. Um, if you want to be in sales, make sure that you have hopefully a leader that believes in you. Uh, there's going to be leaders at other companies that uh, will always work their best to make sure you're successful. So if you don't have one, don't think that that's the world telling you sales isn't for you. Uh, just maybe not that spot. Um, and, you know, the best thing about sales development is you really do get back what you put into it. So if you want to come there and you want to bust your butt and you want to learn, you're going to, you know, do really well and success will eventually find you. Um, just don't give up on yourself too quickly. So I appreciate Couldn't the time. Any though, better myself. That was, Perfect. that was great. Um, love it, Matt. Thanks for coming on everyone. Give Matt a holler on LinkedIn, uh, Adam, follow him. And uh, Matt, we'll, we're going to have to do a round two uh, at some point, man. This is great. Yeah. Let me know. I appreciate it again. Thank you. Thanks for checking out that episode, start of the year. Let's kick some ass. Again, one of my goals for this show is to get as many subscribers, uh, wherever you're listening here, uh, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, et cetera. Subscribe, leave a review, and then hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, Tom Alemo, uh, or any of my other socials at Tommy Tahoe. Look forward to connecting with you there. Peace.